good day. I'm Martin Webb, and welcome to The Climate Report for Thursday, March 24th, 2022. The Climate Report broadcasts and podcasts on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email climatereport at kvmr.org. Today's Climate Report starts off local. Then we visit the rest of the world for the latest climate news. As mentioned in the last show, for local listeners, there will be a climate change summit held on Monday, April 11th from 6 to 8 p.m. at Nevada County Media in Grass Valley at the new local multimedia recording and events studio and campus on Crown Point Circle. Tickets and registration are required with more information at nevadacountymedia.org or at Nevada County Media's Facebook page. It's a live in-studio event with support from the Briar Patch Natural Food Co-op and featuring Board of Supervisors, um, Nevada Irrigation District Board members, local energy experts, as well as Tahoe National Forest Supervisor Circle. The South Yuba River Citizens League is also going to be involved. And we won't be having another climate report before the event, so that's why we're mentioning it now. This Climate Change Summit, again, is local. It's Monday, April 11th, 2022, from 6 to 8 p.m. Well, today's news is also being dominated locally by the efforts to assess the possible opening of the Idaho-Maryland gold mine. The draft environmental impact report is having its public session for comment today. Written comment can be submitted until April 4th. But what remains to be seen is how the environmental impact report will address climate change and greenhouse gas emissions. So far in the draft version, mentions that doubling the amount of energy use for the city of Grass Valley will have a less than significant impact on global warming, greenhouse gas emissions, and energy use. At our next climate report, we hope to find out how that was addressed at today's public meeting. In other regional energy and climate news, there is an effort finally to underground 10,000 miles of PG&E's worst, most high-fire-risk utility lines. And that, as expected, is going to raise rates. Initially, it was expected that in 2023 next year, PG&E residential customers could expect an 18% rate, cre- rate increase. But in their latest bill inserts, they're letting customers know that that has been reduced to 15.5% increase. So global warming, we are paying for it one way or another. For our listeners, as a uh, public service, don't forget that PG&E does have an energy savings assistant program that helps people make their homes more efficient, reducing their energy use and therefore emissions and the impact on the environment. Home improvements include new appliances, replacing refrigerators, furnaces, water heaters, attic insulation, weatherproofing to help keep homes cooler in the summer and warmer in the winter. More information can be found at pge.com slash energy saver. That's pge.com slash energy saver. Reducing energy use not only helps with the climate and the environment, but it will help offset this 15.5% rate hike that is projected for next year. In recent global climate news, 
There are heaps of dashboard type related information, reports, studies that are here to inform us on what is happening in the natural world. In a nutshell, according to the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that has been updating humanity with reports every few years, these signs are clear. They are happening sooner than expected, more extreme than expected, and accelerating faster than expected. Well, at the same time, we're also getting reports on how exactly the world is responding and how resilient it is. And we're going to highlight a new study on the world's forests that apparently do more than just store carbon, according to new research. New data suggests that world's forests play a far greater and more complex role in tackling the climate crisis than previously thought due to their physical effects on global and local temperatures. New data suggests that the forests are helping keep the earth at least half a degree cooler, protecting us all from the effects of the climate crisis. The role of forests as carbon sponges is well established, but this new data suggests that forests deliver climate benefits well beyond just storing carbon. They are helping to keep air both near to themselves and far away from themselves cool and moist, due to the way that forests physically transform both energy and water. The study is the first to pinpoint the non-carbon dioxide benefits of different forests. And the study found that the band of tropical rainforests around the equator, this spans Latin America, Central Africa, and Southeast Asia, generate the most benefits both locally as well as globally. The researchers from the U.S. and Columbia found that overall, forests on our planet keep Earth at least half a degree Celsius cooler. When biophysical effects from chemical compounds to turbulence and the reflection of light are combined with their carbon dioxide effects. That means without the trees, essentially, we would already be a half a degree farther ahead in the climate warming expectations. In the tropics, from Brazil and Guatemala in South America to Chad, Cameroon in Africa and Indonesia in Asia, the cooling effect is more than one degree. So for the whole planet, it's a half a degree, but once you look locally, it has an even more profound effect. In short, while all forests provide multiple benefits, some are more important than others in keeping the climate stable. Principal scientist at the International Center for Tropical Agriculture and a co-author of the study that was called The Unseen Effects of Deforestation, Biophysical Effects on Climate, Louise Verchot says despite the mounting evidence that forests deliver myriad climate benefits, trees are still viewed just as sticks of carbon by many policymakers in the climate change arena. Forests are key to mitigation, but also adaptation. Therefore, deforestation has devastating impacts on biodiversity, food security, and global heating. And a recent report by the IPCC warned about catastrophic consequences humanity faces with rising temperatures. Well, these new findings that were published in the journal Frontiers in Forests and Global Change suggest that forests are important to mitigation and adaptation, cooling the air, delivering moisture, protecting us from droughts, extreme heat, and floods caused by the climate breakdown. 
Forest cooling is due to a range of biophysical effects, such as the physical aspect of the tree's wood, its leaves, and its density, as opposed to simple biochemical factors such as the carbon. Researchers found that forests emit chemicals, biogenic volatile organic compounds that create aerosols that reflect incoming energy and form clouds. Both are cooling effects. While they also lead to a slight buildup of two greenhouse gases, ozone and methane, on balance, the cooling of forests outweighs the warming. Deep roots, efficient water use, and so-called canopy roughness also enable forests to mitigate the impact of extreme heat. All in all, these physical qualities that have been studied turns out that allow trees to move heat and moisture away from the Earth's surface where we live which directly cools local area and influences cloud formation and rainfall, which has ramifications everywhere. In the tropics, where forest carbon storage and sequestration rights are the highest, the biophysical effects of forests amplify these carbon benefits. In other words, tropical deforestation immediately increases extreme heat locally and decreases regional and local rainfall. All in all, better protection, expansion of forests, and improved management of forests are considered by many experts key among the most promising nature-based solutions. The heart of the tropics is at the heart of the planet, and these forests are critical for our survival, said lead author. Without the forest cover we have now, the planet would be hotter and the weather more extreme. Forests provide us defense against the worst-case global warming scenarios, one of the co-authors says. In other scientific natural dashboard news for our planet and how it's reacting, while the forests and trees are doing more work than we realized, there's also fresh reports about the reduction of sea ice at both poles. Latest news says that Arctic sea ice could hit its maximum size much earlier than usual. Arctic sea ice waxes and wanes through the season. And as you can imagine, if you haven't seen any of the time-lapse images and graphical content that you can find online that sort of speeds up and shows how the Arctic ice cap expands during the winter, shrinks during the summer, well, every year they're able to measure its largest coverage on the North Pole, and then it shrinks and there is a point every year, a calendar date, that they can mark when the Arctic ice cap is its largest. And this year is expected, for the first time, the maximum ice extent at the Arctic could be much earlier than usual. Not only that, some stations are reporting winter temperatures 15 degrees warmer than usual. Now, if you're paying attention to climate news you're likely being hit with a barrage of numbers, and sometimes it's a bit overwhelming. As we continue to report and hear about breaking extreme weather records and events, here's something to keep in mind. Typically, temperature records are broken incrementally by small amounts, sometimes tenths of a degree, or in single digits. It is extremely rare until recently to have extreme weather records broken by double digits, 10 degrees or more. So this is alarming because it's at the North and the South Pole. It says here that uh, an extreme heat event in the Arctic could cause it to reach the maximum of extent of its ice for this year considerably earlier than usual, according to The Guardian. Temperature records were broken in Norway last week 
with rain falling at Svalbard Airport and unusually warm temperatures recorded in Greenland and in Russia. Some stations reportedly reached 15 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than usual for the Arctic winter at the North Pole, but the situation was alarmingly being echoed at the South Pole, with the Concordia station on the Antarctic Plateau hitting a record on Friday that was 20 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than usual for this time of the year. Says Professor Julian Strove, Professor of Polar Observation and Modeling at the University College London, it is unusual to have such large departures from average occur at the same time at both poles. And in the Arctic, it may have led to the maximum sea ice extent reached considerably earlier than average. Their graph showed levels were also tracking below those seen in 2012, 10 years ago, when the North Pole's Arctic sea ice hit its lowest ever extent. Strove was cautious about attributing the extreme weather events to the climate crisis. She said, while we may expect such warming extremes to occur more frequently under climate change, it is too early to say this particular event is related to climate change. Weather is always unpredictable, and it's important to remember that air temperatures, while warmer than average, remain below zero as expected. Well, a coordinating lead chapter author for the IPC's most recent sixth assessment said the IPCC report on impacts, adaptation, and vulnerability released this February underscores that the window of opportunity to act on climate is rapidly closing. If these extreme temperatures don't wake people up about this urgency, at the same time as war threatens to encourage more fossil fuel extraction and use, I don't know what will. Well, now we're going to circle back to people and humans after hearing about what's happening in the natural world. What can we do? What should we do? And more reports are coming out that are informing us on how to make this transition away from fossil fuels as equitable as possible. And an interesting new study says that rich countries must stop producing oil and gas by 2034, but the poorest countries should be given until 2050, says research aiming to set out a fair way of ending the fossil fuel economy. Rich countries must end all oil and gas production in the next 12 years, while the poorest nations should be given 28 years. This is to provide a fair transition away from fossil fuels. This is according to a report that was led by Professor Kevin Anderson from the Tyndall Center for Climate Change Research at Manchester University. They found that wealthy countries such as the UK, the US, and Australia had until 2034 to stop all oil and gas production. And that's just to give the world a 50% chance of preventing devastating climate breakdown while the poorest nations that are also heavily reliant on fossil fuels should be given until 2050. Professor Anderson said that while it was now clear that there had to be a rapid shift away from a fossil fuel economy, it was essential that this was done in a fair and equitable way. He said there are huge differences in the ability of countries to end oil and gas production while maintaining vibrant economies and delivering a just transition for their citizens, he said. The report examines each country's wealth on this planet and how dependent its economy is on fossil fuel production. It found that many poorer countries would be crippled economically and politically by a rapid move away from oil and gas, 
while wealthier nations could afford to end fossil fuel production while remaining relatively prosperous. For example, it found out that oil and gas revenue contributed 8% to the U.S. GDP, but without it, the United States' GDP per person would still be around $60,000, the second highest globally. Meanwhile, countries such as South Sudan, the Republic of Congo, and Gabon, despite being small producers of oil and gas, have little other economic revenue and would be devastated by a rapid transformation. You could remove all oil and gas revenue from the U.S., and we would shrug. Christina Figueres, the former U.N. climate chief who oversaw the 2015 Paris summit, welcomed the findings. She said the new study is a timely reminder that all countries must phase out oil and gas production rapidly, with wealthy countries going fastest, while also ensuring a just transition for workers and communities that rely on it. The report's findings come amid a renewed focus on climate justice among civil society groups and countries in the global south particularly at last year's COP26 conference in Glasgow. But Anderson warned many wealthier nations still only paid lip service to the idea. He said, I don't see any sense of equity being taken seriously by the policymakers in the wealthy parts of the world. The study, commissioned by the International Institute for Sustainable Development, quantifies how much future and oil and gas production is consistent with the Paris climate target of 1.5 degrees Celsius heating as a limit. They looked at what that means for the 88 different countries that are responsible for 99.97% of this planet's oil and gas supply. So again, they looked at how much we need to limit oil and gas production to keep things to 1.5, and they looked at the 88 different countries that produce all that to figure out Who needs to do what the fastest? It found that just to have a 50% chance, again, this is a 50-50 chance flipping a coin on the planet. It found that for a 50% chance of limiting global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius, the 19 highest capacity oil and gas producing countries, which have average GDP capita per capita of more than $50,000, must end production by 2034. 100% gone in the next 12 years. By the end of the decade in 2030, 75% gone. So by the end of this decade, 75% of the oil and gas produced by wealthy countries shut off. And by 2034, all of it gone. That group produces more than a third of all the global oil and gas. That includes the US, UK, Norway, Canada, Australia, and the United Arab Emirates. Then there are 14 high-capacity countries that aren't quite as wealthy. Instead of a $50,000 per person GDP, they have a $28,000 per person GDP. So they're given an extra five years to make their cut. That's Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Kazakhstan. Then they looked at 11 medium-capacity countries with a $17,000 per person GDP. They're given five more additional years beyond that, and so on, looking at low-capacity and the lowest-capacity countries, and the poorest are given the longest to make their transition. The richest 
are able to make the transition and must make the transition. The study found that even with this timescale, poorer countries would need financial support to make the transition if they were to avoid massive economic and political upheaval. A climate justice campaigner and coordinator of the Asian People's Movement on Debt and Development said a rapid, just, and equitable phase-out of oil and gas is still possible, with the time frame suggested in this report, as long as rich countries provide financial, technical, political support and cancel the debt. And speaking of analyzing the entire planet, the United Nations chief has called for extreme weather warning systems to be enacted for everyone on Earth. Antonio Guterres says the entire planet should be covered by early warning systems within five years. He's the UN Secretary General. He says about a third of people around the world are now not covered by early warning systems. But in Africa, the problem is greater, with about 60% of people lacking such warnings as climate breakdown takes hold. More people are likely to be affected by extreme weather, including flash floods, heat waves, more violent storms, and coastal storm surges made worse by sea level rises. And the UN Secretary General says everyone on the planet should be covered by a global early warning system against extreme weather and climate-related disasters. And again, his goal is within five years. Antonio Guterres said it was unacceptable that so many people were still not covered by early warning systems and pointed out that the IPCC had frequently found half of humanity was in the danger zone for climate breakdown. He said human-caused climate disruption is now damaging every region on the planet. The most recent report of the IPCC details the suffering already happening. Each increment of global heating will further increase the frequency and intensity of extreme weather events. Guterres has frequently called for half of the climate finance provided from rich to poor countries to be devoted to helping them adapt to the impacts of the climate crisis. At present, the vast majority of such financing from rich to poor goes to helping middle-income countries reduce their greenhouse gas emissions while funding adaptation to the problems are hard to finance. It's much sexier and easier to make money for rich countries to sell products like solar panels and wind turbines. It's not as attractive and you don't make as much return on investment when you build seawalls and adaptation. Guterres says we must invest equally in adaptation and resilience. That includes the information that allows us to anticipate storms, heat waves, floods, and droughts. It might sound like this could be ridiculous and expensive and hard to do. None of that is true. Ensuring that the global population on our planet Earth is covered by such warnings would cost about $1.5 billion over five years, according to UN estimates. The UN hopes some funding will be forthcoming from the World Bank and other multilateral development banks and from development aid from rich countries and is even seeking private sector contributions, for instance, from technology companies with expertise in providing data. A senior UN official said it will not be easy, it'll be challenging, but when one looks at the cost of mobilizing the resources to make this reality, it's a mere fraction, a rounding error of the $14 trillion that G20 countries over the last two years have spent to recover their economies from COVID. 
Guterres has asked the World Meteorological Organization to lead the effort to ensure that everyone on our planet is covered by an early warning system. He's called for a plan on how to fulfill the target to be brought to the next UN Climate Summit to be held in Egypt this November at the COP27. Having early access, having access to early warnings, even if only 24 hours of warning, can reduce the damage from storms by about a third. The return on investment is real. The economic benefits of early warnings are high. A report in 2019 by the Global Commission on Adaptation found that for every $800 million invested in avoiding losses from climate-related damage would reduce damages by between $3 billion and $16 billion. Spend $800 million to adapt, you'll reduce damages by $3 billion to $16 billion. Early warning systems can include storm warnings and high alerts for heat waves and in coastal areas, broadcasts of high waves or tsunamis. The warnings can be sent by mobile mobile phone, public broadcast systems, or media such as radio, television, and newspapers. After the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami, many Asian countries overhauled their early warning systems, which includes public address systems at beaches and coastal towns to warn of imminent tsunamis. In the UK, severe weather warnings and flood alerts are given out on broadcast media and posted on their environment agency website. However, the world's least developed countries and small island states, many of which face inundation, have the least coverage of early warning systems. Fiona Smith, the head of global policy and advocacy at the charity Christian Aid, said rich countries must do much more. She says the fact that people who have done almost nothing to cause the climate crisis are still suffering and even dying at the hands of extreme weather underlies the cruel injustice of the climate crisis. In our last quick tidbit to close out today's climate report, we're going to recap an interesting list of things that were related to pursuing reducing the dependence on Russia's fossil fuels for Europe. This is a list of behavioral changes that individuals in the UK and Europe can make in order to address the immediate and urgent war and suffering that's happening in the Ukraine. However, these are directly related to the larger war and suffering that we're seeing with the war on nature that humanity has inadvertently enacted. So these are fascinating ways that people are urgently looking at reducing their fossil fuels to meet the moment, and it translates to everyone perfectly. So here we go, starting from the easiest, fastest, cheapest, to the boldest. Turn down the thermostat on your hot water heater. If everyone did this, it could reduce your energy demand by 10%, saving a lot of CO2 and money. Set your heating to come on only when required. Your air conditioning as well. This cuts your gas and electricity use, setting your thermostats much lower. Not just for cooling and heating the air in your home, but also lowering the thermostat for your water temperature. If you find yourself turning on your hot water for a shower and then turning on cold water to cool it off, then you're paying to heat water to hotter than you need it. Then you're also paying to run pumps to continue to then decrease it by increasing the cold water flow, reducing your thermostats, reducing your water boilers, and then keeping your shower time to four minutes. This could save a typical household a thousand kilowatt hours of energy a year, equivalent to driving 700 miles. So 
reducing the temperature on thermostats, reducing the time in the shower, and then the good old-fashioned turning lights off when leaving the room. That saves energy, saves money, saves CO2. And then next is insulating your home. A fully insulated home is 50% more energy efficient than a property that has no insulation. So you're paying for insulation up front, but then you're saving money on the back end with the amount of energy that you won't have to buy, especially as prices are continuing to go up. Next is doing what you can to just reduce all of your energy use around your home, traveling as little as possible, speeding up the replacement of gas boilers with heat pumps, and increasing the use of renewables and solar power. And then lastly, replacing fossil fuel cars when ready with electric ones. Don't go trashing perfectly good cars just to chase a new electric so that's, that's what they're doing in Europe to address their Russian dependence, but that's what all of us can do to reduce our larger fossil fuel dependence. That's all for today's Climate Report broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For daily news headlines in between broadcasts, including heaps of good news and tips, there is a Climate Report social media page. For questions or comments, feel free to email climatereport at kvmr.org, and all of our shows are archived on the podcast page at KVMR's website.